Like faith is actually being put in touch with the deepest reality, with the most true reality, and that actually spiritual realities are um, more real in some ways. Like C.S. Right. Lewis talks about this, you know. Um, and so that when we see these visions, they're not like um, they're not putting us in touch with some um, magical or fanciful ideas. Like they're actually showing us what is more real than like right. what we see in, in yeah. life. So faith is getting in touch with reality in that, in that sense. Welcome to this week's episode of The Follow-Up, where we recap this week's sermon so you can grow deeper in your relationship with Jesus. I'm here with Pastor Ryan and Pastor Bill. Welcome, guys. Hey, hey. Hi. We're diving into Revelation chapter 14 today. Mm-hmm. Are you guys ready for these questions? Ready. So ready. Ooh, okay. First one, how does the idea that, quote, things are not always as they seem, unquote, as seen in both of your guys' sermons, if mm. both of you took it in different directions, yeah. mm-hmm. um, challenge our understanding of faith and reality? Mm. Yeah, I would say that um, it really showed up here that there was a lot of ways in which things seemed one way, and yet the spiritual reality revealed something different. Mm-hmm. And I think you saw that in the passage and in the sermon, if you if you watched it or you were there. Uh, but I think I think it's also just as true in our everyday lives, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? Like we don't see the spiritual battle. Mm-hmm particularly that's happening in the background often, but it is. And so I think, you know, every time you're on the precipice of turning from God in some way Mm -hmm. or turning towards sin, I think there's a spiritual aspect to that. There's a spiritual battle that we don't see and we might, you know, pass it off as our, just our emotions or our dopamine levels or whatever it is. But, um, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Right. Right. And so there's this idea that like, there's, kind of a a spiritual undercurrent Mm. that's going on and we can't always see it or sense it, but the Bible is always trying to point us towards it. Right. And I would say like our uh, worldview, the predominant worldview in the modern West is naturalism. That like what is real, uh, what is reality is that which we can measure empirically, that we can like test, that we can see with our eyes, that we can touch. And then there's been this view since probably the 1800s of like the spiritual is sort of this subjective reality that's not really real. It's it's sort of like you have a version of it or I have a version of it, but that's like, that's sort of like um, unprovable things, mm-hmm. untestable things, right? And uh, what is real is what you can touch and what you can feel and what you can test. And um, the Bible, I mean, it has a very different view of things that like actually what we, uh, that faith is not this sort of like subjective, just sort of like dreaming of ideas or, or like a trust despite evidence, something like that. Like faith is actually an, being put in touch with the deepest reality, with the most true reality. And that actually spiritual realities are um, more real in some ways. Like C.S. Right. Lewis talks about this, you know? Um, and so that when we see these visions, they're not like, um, they're not putting us in touch with some um, magical or fanciful ideas. Like they're actually showing us what is more real than like right. what we see in, in yeah. life. So faith is getting in touch with reality in that, in that sense. Yeah. I love that philosophical, like, idea in yeah. general because it's like the question then becomes and this is something people debate is what is the prime reality sure yeah you know and that's that's how they talk about like prime reality sure which lends itself really well to your illustration about oh, yeah. the matrix yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. um um but our I, I even think about like paul harvey like now you know the rest of the yeah, story yeah you know like this idea that there's like there's always more to the story right and the bible is um what god is using to accurately describe the holistic truth, right. or the prime reality. And, and Christian theology has always said God is the ultimate reality right. upon which everything else is is founded. Yeah. You know, that's where we get our yeah. basis for reality. 
Yeah, we can wax eloquent, you know, forever. forever. <laughs> I know you guys can't. <laughs> you just got to cut us off. <laughs> I was going to say, we have no idea how long this is going to go. There you go, it's fine. It's <laughs> you guys it's can good. keep going forever. In the face of societal pressures and the allure of worldly pleasures, how can we stay committed to being part of a faithful remnant that God reserves for himself? Mm. I think it is, it is important to recognize that that is a part of our identity as the people of God, that we live um, in this time between um, Jesus' first and second coming, where the kingdoms of this world are still, um, you know, in charge, even though we believe Jesus is king and his kingdom is, is coming. And so we should expect to face pressures and um, we should expect to feel uncomfortable living in this world as as citizens of, of Jesus' kingdom. Um, so, I mean, I think it is so important, we talked about this this weekend, to um, gather regularly with believers, to spend time reading scripture together, worship being in song together, taking communion, the Lord's Supper, so that we are reminded of, of what is true. And that, that should fuel us then, having been the church gathered, you know, to go and be the church scattered throughout our city and um, representing our king um, wherever we go. So I think it's it's that weekly encouragement, that regular encouragement, you know, that in part fuels us um, yeah. for faithful obedience. Yeah, and to build off that a little bit is a, a couple things. One is, you know, it says do not be conformed to this world, but yeah. be transformed by what? By mm. the renewing of your mind. Yeah, yeah. And in that sense, it's like, it, it's almost this idea of biblical thinking yeah. helps us to be part of the faithful people of God, yeah. despite living in a world that's trying to corrupt us. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so like, that's why it's so important what we're putting in. Yeah. And that's why it's so that's important good. to have like, our lives grounded in God's word, mm -hmm. and but also in community yeah. and in in the church in those things um and then the second thing i would say is like in this passage in particular it informs us in the way that we see what happens to babylon mm. and babylon we'll talk about this more in future weeks yeah, yeah. but it's really this stand-in for like all the things that point to the pleasures of this world mm -hmm. and kind of like gaining wealth and notoriety yeah. and, and all of these things. And so yeah. it points to all of those things. And what we see in this passage is that that's going to be done away with. Yeah, yeah. And so how can we stay a faithful remnant when we are seduced and, and we see the allure of the world is mm -hmm. by remembering that actually even those things that are good in our lives, they're temporary things, you mm -hmm. know? And like the car I'm driving is going to be dust one day. And yeah. the house that I have, uh, when I get to heaven, it's not going to matter how big it was or how small it was. Um, all of those things, like we should see those as sometimes good gifts from God, yep, yep, yep. but not as the end of everything. Mm -hmm. And so then like reminding ourselves like the end is actually being faithful to Christ and yep. he is our goal and he is our prize. Yeah, absolutely. That. Both sermons discuss the concept of ultimate justice and victory, mm. and how does this perspective shape our response to the challenges and injustices we face today? Yeah, yeah as I meditated on um, kind of the gory and even kind of graphic descriptions, you know, they're in Revelation 14, um, and just reminding um, us that in, in Scripture, vengeance is... It belongs to God, right? This is in, I believe it's Romans 12, that basically Paul says, like, don't repay evil with evil. Like, don't take revenge. Don't try and get even in this life. Um, and that's not out of a sort of, like, um, kind of, uh, well, justice doesn't matter or a disregard for, you know, the right thing happening, um, but more so entrusting um, ourselves to God. First Peter says, you know, Jesus did this. Um, he didn't, you know, fight back. He didn't retaliate, but he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. So that is, um, I think, ultimately, when we when we see injustice in this world, our first 
uh, knee-jerk reaction should be to say, like, God um, is going to take care of this, so I don't have to, like, get even. I don't have to, you know, like... Um, yeah, take take vengeance because it belongs um, to God. And I think it fills us with hope, um, ultimately, that um, God will put things right. Sometimes we think about justice primarily as, like, punitive, and that's definitely a part of it, you know. But the other kind of lens of justice is that it's kind of setting things right, making things the way that they ought to be. Um, and I think that's that's our hope is in God's final um, justice. Yeah. Right. And, it, I mean, I think it cuts against kind of the world's view of justice. Okay. Like, kind of— I have to get mine, right? Like, uh-huh. if I'm wronged, there, yeah. it has to be made up for, you know, no matter what. It's kind of like yeah. lame is. Sure. You know, if you're familiar with that. Say the, more. The, the, yeah. the, the, like, the cop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In that, yeah. He's, um, he's, like, he has to have justice served. Yeah. Right? Like, he can't, he can't let anything go. Right. Everything has to be paid for, you know? And it's, like, actually, as believers, we're, we're actually banking on God's mm-hmm. eternal justice. Yep. Mm-hmm. And so, like, we can be wronged, mm-hmm. and when somebody takes our cloak, we can give them our tunic as yeah. well. Turn the other cheek. We can yep. turn the other cheek. If yep. somebody wants to force us to walk with them a mile, we can walk with them two miles. Yeah. You know, like, we can actually suffer those injustices yeah. and know that God is going to make it right. And I think the other way we've seen justice, um, maybe in the last just even three or four years, a resurgence of interest in this language of justice yeah. is almost it almost gets depicted in like utopian kind of languages. Like we need to institute justice now, make everything right, equity and all those kind of conversations. And I think as Christians engage in work on justice, we do so with the knowledge that like ultimately this side of Jesus' second coming, we're never going to achieve right. that. And so um, we we uh, try and enact justice and fight for justice, but with the knowledge that like we can't legislate utopia and right. and actually um, uh, yeah that usually leads to bad bad stuff when people try and do that mm-hmm. so we like whenever we work towards um, justice in this life fairness and that sort of thing it's always in a like uh, a partial anticipation of what yeah. will one day be yep. recognizing that we're still this side of you know the new kingdom and mm-hmm. um, in in hopes and as a testimony to what one day will be perfectly implemented by Jesus right. as king yeah mm-hmm. yeah amen. Considering the emphasis on worship and following the Lamb in both sermons, what are practical ways we can align our daily actions and decisions mm. with God's will? Yeah, I loved that that mm-hmm. like imagery of yeah. like um, the hundred and forty four thousand the people of God are on Mount Zion and they follow the Lamb wherever He goes. Yeah. Like that's amazing to think about. And so like it's yeah. really a picture for us mm. here and now of. Am I really following Jesus? Am I really being obedient to him in any given aspect of my life? Because I think Mm. it's really easy for Jesus, and I feel like maybe I say this too much from the pulpit, but like it's really easy for Jesus to be an addition to somebody's life. You know, to say like, yeah, I do all these things, and I really love Jesus, you know, but for Jesus to be your master— Mm. In the sense that you'll say, like, I'll actually yield to you mm. when it doesn't make sense. Yeah. I'll yield to you when it costs me wealth. Mm-hmm. I'll yield to you when um, I have to give up my pride to fix a broken relationship. Mm. I'll yield to you when I want to spend my money on myself, but my church is asking me to Ooh, help in this way. Don't meddle. Don't meddle, Bill. <laughs> Come on. But, like, but when Jesus is your master, that's a whole different style of life. Yeah. And if we want to like 
kind of emulate following the lamb wherever he goes, Mm -hmm. it requires the cost of discipleship, a sacrificial life Mm -hmm. towards Jesus and towards giving up our wants and desires for what Jesus wants. And I think that's, that's super hard to live out in practicality, but that's what we're trying to move towards. And that's what we're trying to yield the spirit to, you know, to work in our lives in that way. And I think, you know, the question is partly like, what are daily practical, you know, habits? I think, I mean, I think, I'm always asking, and you said this earlier, what's my intake? Like what voices are speaking into my ear most loudly? What podcasts are shaping the way I view the world? What songs and what, um, you know, movies and what stories am I seeing that are shaping the way I see the world? So this is why, you know, we, we say it's so important to spend time reading God's word every day, reorients us, gives us a lens through which to, you know, evaluate everything else. I also think it'd be so valuable for folks who maybe don't even have a regular habit of doing this to like, just consider worshiping to listening to worship music on a regular basis and reorienting your, your brain to that kind of way of seeing the world. And those are the songs that kind of permeate and get stuck in your mind. Um, I think those are, are ways of kind of bringing us back over and over again to, you know, what is really real and what's true. Yeah. I like how practical that is. Yeah. Love that. We're going to move now into some questions that were asked by the congregation. Um, first one in the message, you talked about God's ultimate justice and how, but how can tormenting someone for eternity be just when they have may they may have lived a good life, but just don't believe in Jesus. Mm. Yeah. It's tough. And so this, this passage really explicitly talks about um, that, view of, of hell as eternal conscious torment that um, I think the first place like if I was sitting across the table from this person I think the first thing I want to acknowledge is that hell is not a doctrine that we should um, celebrate g- gleefully and and sort of like delight in the idea of pain um, of others I think it is one that we um, believe because scripture teaches it um, but we ultimately are um, can be sorrowful um, this side of eternity as we think about people we love um, who have rejected Jesus and will um, suffer. Um, I think the question is is a good one in, in terms of justice um, to say like, okay, so how can it be just for someone to um, be eternally tormented? Um, and this is where I think the different maybe images that scripture gives us for hell are helpful. Um, certainly there is that image of torment, um, but there's also the image of, you know, isolation, of, of separation from God. Um, and we see essentially the idea that um, what a person chooses in this life, God, you know, confirms that for eternity. So if you choose to be the kind of person who um, says, I don't, I don't want God. I don't want what God has for me. I want to run my own life. You know, I want to be in charge. I want to do what's right in my own eyes. Then um, C.S. Lewis says this really well, but says, you know, essentially to those who say to God, um, my will be done at the end, God will say to them, okay, thy will be done. Like if that's what you want, if you want to spend eternity um, apart from me, then that is what I will give you. Um, And so that's another way to think about it. Like um, another other folks have said, you know, hell, um, hell's doors are locked from the inside, essentially. Like there's no one in hell who is um, like uh, ultimately repentant. And we're going to see that. We're going to see that next week and the chapter comes out very clearly. Um, But that um, people continue in whatever trajectory they're on um, into eternity uh, and mm-hmm. continue to become, uh, I think, more and more hardened against God. Um, and I think there, there's, uh, again, we'll never fully wrap our minds around like God's uh, logic for things, you know, um, but at least that's helped me come to grips with at least what the Bible, I think, clearly teaches. Um, what, what would you add to that? What do you think? Well, I mean, I would also say that like, there's kind of an apologetic discussion that goes surrounding just even the doctrine of hell. And uh, there's an aspect in which like, what is the punishment Mm. for violating or rebelling 
or not accepting mm-hmm. the like God's grace, mm. you know, what is the punishment for rejecting him when he is a whole, a perfectly holy God, yeah. Yeah. you know, and that's the result of that is, is hell. And so mm. it, it's like, actually, it's actually really amazing yeah. that, that we find that there's anyone yeah. who can mm. actually like be saved and be with, with yeah, God. Yeah. And it's only through his son, Jesus mm-hmm. that allows, and that actually reveals God's character that he is a God of love and that he's a God of grace and he's a God of mercy. And so it's so we like, get, we get it backwards when we assume like, well, what people deserve is they deserve to live forever with God. And then it's kind of unfair that God like yeah. doesn't, you know, that he kind of like yeah. rushes right. some people. Right. And absolutely it's like actually backwards. It's actually backwards. Yeah. 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 And so, yeah, there's, there's that aspect of it. Mm. And, um, it's, it's a hard mm-hmm. thing to sit with, honestly, right. like yeah. hell is a hard, um, kind of thing to sit with, but, um, you know, God is perfectly just, and he still de- meets the demands of his wrath even for us. Mm. He just does it through his son, Jesus. Yeah, Jesus so, yeah, difficult questions. The other thing I would just yeah. say is, is it's okay to just, it's okay to wrestle with the, those things, you know, to where if I was sitting across from this person to say, you know, um, it's okay to feel uncomfortable to sit with, you know, a doctrine and say like, God, I don't fully understand this and like to submit that to him. And um, we see that a lot in the Psalms of people just saying like, Lord, I, I don't, I don't quite understand this, mm-hmm. but I believe that you're good. Yeah. I believe that you're just, um, mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm just going to trust that you're going to do what is right. right. Um, there will, and the other aspect of that question is when they've led good lives. Yeah. yeah. And I, I kind of keyed in, that, in on that because yeah, like yeah. the Bible is very clear. There is no one good. Yeah. There is no one who does good. Yeah. And in the sense of that is like we're in the end, we all have sinned and fall short of glory yeah. and fallen short of the glory of God. So like we're all deserving of his wrath mm-hmm. um, and there will be no one in hell who doesn't deserve it. Right. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, yeah. Last question. And I know you guys wanted to spend a little bit more time on this one. Yeah. 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 Since we are promised that we will not experience God's wrath, and the gospel has been preached to the whole world, like the last call. Mm-hmm. Could it be that reaping Jesus does, the reaping that Jesus does is of the righteous to remove them from the earth before judgment falls? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so this is what's happening in this passage, right? Yeah, like, yeah. this is the, the nature of the question is yeah. the reaping that you see, it's very clear. I think it's very clearly Jesus, the first yep, reaping yep, yep, I agree. that's yep. talked about yep. towards the end of the chapter. Like 14 to 20, these yeah. are the verses, right? Right. Yep, and yep, yep. so the person reaping is um, the, son, the of son of man and is wearing a gold crown. Clearly, it's Jesus. Yeah. So there is, there's actually some discussion regarding whether or not that's a good reaping mm-hmm, or mm-hmm. a bad reaping. And there is a certain vein of theological thought that says, like, what actually you're picturing there is Jesus coming and taking out all of the the saints out of right. the world, like all of the Christians out of the world, and that's a good reaping. Mm-hmm. And Ryan and I kind of read it as a bad yeah. sort of reaping. And yeah, so, it's, it's judgment, yeah. But we had reasons for that. So, yeah, yeah. yeah did you want to elaborate? Oh, yeah, yeah. So I think— um, we throughout this series, you know, we've had a lot of folks writing questions who maybe grew up with that what's called a dispensational premillennial or pre-tribulation rapture um, view, and that's not the take the position that we've taken um, throughout the series. And so this, this, these questions have come up, you know, and that that's a position, frankly, that I held for a very long time, um, but it really was um, until like wrestling with certain passages that have been traditionally 
thought to teach the rapture that I saw them in a different light that I think made a lot of sense for me. So, I mean, in the, in the sermon, I went into a little bit how I think in that harvest in verses 14 to 20, um, both of them are, are bad because it's an allusion to Joel and you, and you did that as well, that yeah. that language shows up there. But, um, I wanted to look at one, one passage in particular that a lot of times people go to, to talk about the rapture. Um, and I think this, um, if you see it in context, you'll see that um, it actually comports with the way that we're talking about the harvest sure. um, at the end of the age. So this is from um, Matthew chapter 24. I'm just going to read um, verses 36 to 41. Um, it says, but about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the son, but only the father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. So Jesus returned. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and given in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took, Lambano, took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field and one will be taken, Lambano, and the other left. Two women will be grinding with a handmill, and one will be taken, Lambano, the same verb, and the other left. So the way this was originally explained to me is like, this is the rapture. You got people hanging out, and then one of them is taken out of the world with the rapture, uh, and then judgment's going to follow, and then one of them is left. But if you look in context, uh, it's compared to Noah's Noah and the ark and the flood coming, and he says two you know, people were hanging out, and they were giving in marriage and all that, and then the flood comes and takes them. And so the, the taking is bad. Like the taking right. is, is judgment yes. of the flood. Right. He says, so too, this is how it's going to be at the coming of the son of man. When Jesus returns, people will be, you know, doing what they're doing. And then some of them will be taken. So I think the parallelism there suggests that the taking there is, is judgment. Like, and those who are left, you know, on the earth are those who will reign forever in a new creation. Um, but this is a reference to, um, to the taking of, of, of judgment there. So, um, so yeah, I would, I would say the questioner is right in that, um, yes, we do not face God's wrath. Um, that's very clear. Like there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Right. Um, and so when we look at, um, when we've been talking about the bowls and the, and the trumpets and the seals, um, we have not seen those as primarily like God punishing those who are still left on the earth um, and including punishing believers. We've been talking about how those represent these ongoing um, difficulties and, and trials and tribulations throughout the church age from Jesus first coming to his second coming. And that actually Christians are um, protected by God through those. They won't fall away. They'll continue to um, to worship and remain faithful to Him. Um, so I guess we want to be clear that we we don't we're not saying God is like pouring out His wrath on believers, right? Um, but we're we're viewing the bowls and the trumpets and the seals in a, a more general sense throughout you know church history, right? And in the sense in which people will be protected, it is protected for eternal life. Right. Yeah, you know, like we're protected in the sense that our our spiritual like mm -hmm. allegiance to Jesus is not going to be taken away by the troubles and the the calamities of this world. Yep. Now, and we've said this throughout the series, but like we recognize like there are different ways of viewing these passages, and I think it's worth recognizing that folks who take that dispensational view, the pre-trib view, are emphasizing the protection of God of His people, and they're reading that literally to say that God will protect them from you know these 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 physical difficulties that are going to happen. Um, and then they maybe uh, when they see passages about God's people suffering and like being killed, they say, well, all that must have to happen you know before the rapture. And we're seeing those as uh, you know those depictions of people suffering is like no, that goes on throughout the church age, right? And and then we're reading those passages about God protecting his people. We're reading those as him protecting them spiritually. So I guess it, it's just, it's okay to like, just recognize that that's the different moves that we're, we're making there. And um, we feel free to disagree about those things. Right. And debate. And yeah. And we, and honestly, it, this chapter in particular reminded me again, 
that if you read chapter 14 through a dispensational premillennial lens, you're going to read it completely different than the way that we took it. And so Mm -hmm. there's just going to be that difference. And that's one of the things that we, we love to say over and over again is just in the EFCA, um, we, you know, we really believe in the truth of God's word, but also like we, we recognize that there are secondary doctrines Mm -hmm. in which, People believe differently and see those things different, particularly in Revelation. There's many different ways to kind of put an interpretive lens on it. And so we want to be charitable to one another. Mm -hmm. We want to encourage one another. We want to have robust dialogue and uh, kind of ask each other the question, where stands it written? Right. And all of those things. Uh, But at the end of the day, we want to center ourselves Mm. around the key idea of Revelation, which is, you know, Christ is going to come back. Yeah. He's Amen. victorious. He's going to judge the living and the dead that will be with him. Yeah. You know? So Absolutely. Well, I was just going to say, I've been encouraged by folks who have come up to me and said like, I love the series. I disagree with you, but, yes. <laughs> but I've loved it yeah. so far. I had that on Sunday. So, you know, and couple, that's, that's okay. A couple you know? different people like, that was a great message. I completely disagree. <laughs> <laughs> but good message. And we welcome it. Yeah. We yes. absolutely yeah, okay. welcome yes, it. Yes, absolutely. Well, thank you guys mm-hmm. for being on. If you have any more questions about dispensationalist, pre-millennial. If you have questions about any of those ginormous words, um, go back onto our YouTube channel. Ryan actually did a few videos discussing all the differences of all the different views that we as Christians can take. So feel free to go back and watch those on our YouTube channel. And we will see you guys next week as we dive into Revelation 15.